Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Week three of breaking the silence, breaking the silence. I'm not going to do a lot of history right here, but I do want to encourage you, if you missed week one or week two, go back, check those messages out. We did a message called House Wars. Uh, We know that God is uh, looking for houses that look like the house of David, uh, the house of David. Uh, And then last week, we talked about the why of worship. And the why of worship is that we were created to worship. Right? How I many we were created by God to worship Him? That's one of the reasons that we worship. Uh, we also worship because of who God is. Um, we we worship because of who we used to be. Anybody thankful that you're not the person you used to be? Uh, that God has begun a good work in you, and the Scripture says that He that begun a good work will complete that work. Today, um, I'm going to preach a message called Pattern not preference. Pattern, not preference. We worship by pattern, not by preference. And I want to say right up front that I love you, and Jesus loves you a whole lot, but we're going to have to buckle up because we're going to let God's Word challenge us today uh, with our comfort levels when it comes to worship because we do not worship by preference, we worship by pattern. One of the big reasons that some churches never experience all that God has for them in worship is because too many people are focused on their own agenda. They have their own agenda. One of the biggest obstacles to worship is what I would call me-centered worship where worship is all about us. And so here are some me-worship misconceptions. Misconception number one, worship is for my benefit. Worship definitely benefits us, but we do not worship God for our own benefit. Each of us, we have to deconstruct the consumer mentality that we all have. If you live in America, you have a consumer mentality. Every, every business in, in this nation is designed uh, to help you consume. And it has created a consumer mentality. One example I could give you is sometimes we, we go to Walmart because of the conveniences, right? I mean, I can go there and pick up uh, my groceries for myself. I can pick up cleaning supplies for myself. I can pick up uh, my grooming supplies for me. While I'm there, I could get a haircut if I choose to. I can have the oil changed in my car while I'm picking up all the stuff, all because of the conveniences that's connected to a consumer mindset. But the problem with having a consumer mindset is that we need to deconstruct it or else we will bring a a consumer mentality into the church. We'll bring a consumer mentality into the kingdom of God. And, and, And then it becomes... What did I get out of church? How did the church make me better today? What can I get out of it? And so we start coming with the idea of just consuming. 
And you definitely get something out of church every time we gather together. We understand that. It's always making you better, but is it really about how it's helping me? Is that really what it's about, how it's helping me? This mindset carries over when we leave a church service. We leave and sometimes we'll ask somebody or somebody will ask us, how was church? And consumers will say, well, today it was good. But how many of sometimes we'll say today was bad. Music was off and PC was not on his A game. The message was just fair. Uh, I would like my tithe back this week. Right? Because of a consumer mindset where it's all about what we want. It's all about our agenda and what we want out of it. We treat church sometimes like a movie. We go to a movie, and if it's good, we tell people it's good. If it's bad, we tell people it's bad. And we do the same thing with church. Church was good today. Church was just okay today. All because of a consumer mindset. If you've ever said, I didn't get anything out of worship today, then you have misunderstood worship. The reality is, is worship is not for our benefit. Worship is for God's benefit. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. And we are created to glorify and worship God. First misconception is that worship is for my benefit. Second misconception is worship is about my preferences. If you want to get a group of Christians mad, if you want to get a bunch of Christians fighting, just bring up the style of music or your, your preferred style. You'll get, you'll get people that love Jesus ready to knock each other out and telling you why their preferred style is the most biblical and the most God-honoring. And we got all these reasons why our preferred style is the best way to do it. But the truth is there is no biblical style of music. What you like, as far as music goes, says more about you than it does God. God created all the styles. Hit somebody and tell them all the styles. All right? So, so it's okay that you have preferences and, and music that you like, but because music powerfully reminds us of significant moments when God worked in our lives. But we cannot adore music more than we adore God. When we make worship about us, we communicate to God that worship is for us. When we worship and it's for us, we become the object of our worship. We become little gods where it's about us. That worship is for our benefit. Worship is about our preferences. But there's not a single word for worship in the Bible, whether you look at the Greek context or the Hebrew context, that includes the idea that worship is about us. Worship is for God, his taste, his desires, and his preferences. And God did not give us a style when it comes to worship. God gave us a pattern when it comes to worship. Do I have y'all's attention today? Okay, some of you are like, no, I already checked out. Last week I told you that the Old Testament lays out physical rituals that in the New Testament become spiritual realities. And God's pattern for worship is, in, in, is one of those that is found in the Old Testament account of the tabernacle. 
after Moses and the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they began their new life in the wilderness, God came to Moses and he said, here is what I want you to build and here is the pattern for worship. Look at the verse in Exodus 25, verse number nine. It says, make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern. Everybody say the pattern. He said, make it exactly like the pattern I will show you. Notice that God didn't give any room for preferences when it came to worship, but he did include a pattern for worship. The tabernacle was a tent structure with multiple courts and rooms, and it's extremely detailed and full of symbolism. But today I want to give you a bird's eye view to show you God's pattern for worship. Here it is. Number one, if you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, you need to take notes or take a picture, all right? That's, real, that's too easy, isn't it? Number one, number one, the gate. Everybody say the gate. The gate um, was, there was one gate or one door uh, to enter into the tabernacle. There was one gate, and that, that simply, the gate speaks to Jesus, that when it comes to worship, we have to begin with Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door. Some translations, he says, I am the gate, that no one can get to the Father except they go through me. That worship starts with Jesus. In John 14 and 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now get this, for the unbeliever, if you're, if you're here and you're not following Jesus, for the unbeliever, this means you cannot worship God until you first follow Jesus. There is no worship until you begin with Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not say, I am a way or I am one of the ways Jesus was really, really clear. He said, I am the way. And this makes a lot of people mad because they think Christianity is exclusive. No, this makes Christianity very inclusive because in all other religions, you gotta do something in order to be accepted in that religion. But in Christianity, you don't do anything to be accepted. Jesus has already paid the price. He has already accepted you. You just got to choose to walk through the door or the gate, and the gate is Jesus. All right? Now, track with me for just a minute. For the believer, this means that we can only come into God's presence through Jesus. But how? I am so glad you asked how. Psalm chapter 100, verse number 4 it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. I got to enter into worship by entering through the gate. The gate is Jesus. 
I enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. What does that mean? If I want to go to the next level in my worship, it's going to start by me thanking Jesus for saving me. It's going to start by thanking Jesus for healing me and providing for me and for protecting my family. Anybody thankful for all that Jesus has accomplished on your behalf because that is the initial step to enter into worship. Give him some praise right there. Jesus is the gate. We begin with Jesus. Now, second part. When it came to the tabernacle, you had the outer court. And the outer court is where we sacrifice pride. As you entered the crowded outer, outer court, you would, have, you would have noticed a large bronze altar of sacrifice in the very center. And this is where people would offer an animal as a sacrifice in worship to God. How many know that sometimes worship is sacrificial? Some of us, we only worship when we feel like it. Oh, it's gotten real quiet in here now. But look at Hebrews 13 and 15. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals What do we sacrifice in the New Testament? Our pride. It was an animal in the Old Testament. It is our pride in the New Testament. Imagine standing in the outer court and everyone sweating because of the heat and it's mixed with the aroma of live animals and dead animals that have been sacrificed. Frankly, it stunk. There was a stench And frankly, pride stinks to God. And it's one of the biggest deterrents to worship. Why? Because pride says it's about me. It's me-centered worship. I'll give you a practical example. Raising hands during worship like this for some people is a challenge. And the reason that is a challenge, there's only one excuse for it. Pride. The one who created you, gave you life, gave you breath, gave you a family, provided your finances, has kept you in hell, has sustained you, has made it possible for you to spend eternity in heaven. If I struggle to lift a hand in praise to him, there is only one reason for that. It's my own pride. And pride stinks to God. It stinks to God. Pride causes us to care about what other people think. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore, I want the men. I'm going to just stop right there. Paul, when it came to worship, Paul didn't even address the women. 
And I believe that part of the reason he didn't address the women is because women have a much easier time lifting their voice and lifting their, their hands. And us men sometimes can't get over our pride and really worship God. He said, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. Paul wants the men to set the standard. He wants the children to see their fathers seeking the heart of God. Dad, if you want your children to seek the heart of God, you set the standard by seeking the heart of God. If I care more about what people think than what God thinks, I don't worship God. I am now worshiping people. And people are not designed to be worshiped. They're not designed for it. No human can handle worship. They end up killing themselves. Billionaires committing suicide, celebrities taking their own life, got all the money in the world, all the fame, people worshiping them around the world, and they take their own. Why? Because people are not built to handle worship. God is the only one that deserves our worship. It starts with the gate and then the outer court where we sacrifice pride. Then the inner court, we move from spectator to participator. In the Old Testament, only priests were able to enter into the inner court. But I showed you last week that you and I are priests, that we are a kingdom of, of kings and priests unto God. In the Old Testament, you had one priest that could go in, but in the New Testament, we, if we follow Jesus, we have become a priest. The inner court is filled with furniture and rituals that require participation. Meaning the crowd of spectators in the outer court can't go on in deeper into the presence of God. The inner court is for those who are willing to move from watching to worshiping. There are certain places in God's presence that you will never touch as long as you continue to watch and not worship. We have to move from being a spectator to being a participator. Worship defined is love expressed, meaning it has to be love, but if it's not expressed, it's not worship. In Mark 12, 30, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We worship with our all. If one part is disengaged, we are not truly worshiping. If my mouth is singing, but my heart is disconnected, I'm not worshiping. Or if I have affection in my heart, but my mouth is not singing, I'm not, I'm not showing it, that is not worship. I added this early this morning, some, some, some content here. I had the notes, but I added some content because I feel like the church as, as a whole, we need pushed on this. There are seven Hebrew words for praise. And I'm going to only give you four of those. But again, I want to start by saying God has already decided how he wants to be worshipped. You coming up in here saying, I worship God in my heart. Well, he don't want worship from your heart. The pattern for worship is very clear. The first word in Hebrew for praise, the first word for praise is yada. I did not say yoda. 
I said yada. And it means to acknowledge in public with an extended hand. This is one of the ways we praise God. It's kind of like when you put your name down at a restaurant, you're waiting for a table, and then they come and say, dingus, party of five. I'm like, right? That's, that's me. Let's eat this steak right now. Come on. You know, I, I want to be identified. And so yada is praising God with an extended hand. And a lot of people will come to church and say things, why do y'all lift your hands like that? Because we are offering God a yada praise. We are worshiping with extended hands. Now, hands are always used for expressions. Many of us, we talk with our hands. Our hands are used to express love, to express frustration. Our hands are used to express anxiety. We wring our hands sometimes. We throw our hands down in frustration and disgust. But we can also lift our hands in adoration of God. This is an expression of intimacy with God by lifting my hands. You know what it's like to have one of your kids run into the room with their hands lifted? When they want you to pick them up to where you are? When they come running at you with hands extended, you don't say, sit down, you little Pentecostal charismatic goober. No, you pick them up and you pull them up to where you are. You may say, that's my boy or that's my girl. It's an expression of intimacy. The second Hebrew word for praise is shabak. I would tell you to hawk, but the person in front of you may not appreciate that. <clears throat> but look at this. To shabak means to address in a loud tone to shout. I've seen um, some of you moms and dads at your kids' ball games doing this. They come to church and you can't hear a peep out of them, but get them at the basketball game and you will hear a shabak. They address the Spartans with a loud tone or James Monroe in a loud tone, but they come to church and they offer the one that saved them in eternal life nothing. We sit there as if I don't have to participate in that. Why, 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 why do y'all get so loud? Why? Because it's appropriate. It's a pattern for worship. How many know that sometimes if you were not loud, it would be inappropriate? Like if you had um, a surgery scheduled, they were going to remove a tumor from your body. And they were going to run one more test before the surgery so they get all the, the things in a row so that you'd be prepared for it. But at that test, they told you, hey, um, we don't know what happened, but the tumor's gone. How many of that? It would be inappropriate and stupid for you to say, well, praise the Lord. I'm just going, you'd be stupid. That would be the part, praise God. I got healed. God showed up. He answered my prayer. You say, well, I can't do that in a doctor's office. Yes, you can. You do it at a ball game and everywhere else. You can do it for God. I don't care where you're at. 
it would be inappropriate to be silent. We had people in this congregation had a testimony this morning of someone here in this church that got healed just last Sunday. While, while I was preaching, they got healed. If you've ever been healed by the power of God, give God a praise right now. If you've ever experienced that. The third one, I only got four of these. The third one is tequila. I did not say tequila, although that will make you sing as well. Tequila is exuberant singing. Exuberant singing. So don't tell me today, Pastor, I can't sing. Yes, you can. You may not sing well, but you can, in fact, sing. And this word praise, it means to sing, and we know that God inhabits the praises of his people. God's presence is felt and known in the praises of his people. Songs have the ability to express what you may not be able to articulate. Part of the reason some people say, I just don't understand why they got all them big screens and they put all them words up there on all these big screens and I just don't really understand. But you, you here, I'm going to help you understand. We have all this up here because sometimes we don't know how to articulate the praise that is in our heart. And so when the worship team begins to sing and the words are up there, it's not us watching them worship. It's giving us words to help us express the praise that is in our heart. Now, here at Bethesda, we are looking for people up here that can sing well. But God is not looking for us to sing well when we're talking about the congregation. God is looking for some people that are just willing to sing. I am, I am so tired of coming to church, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I told you, I love you. Jesus loves you. But I am tired of making you comfortable and, and not making God comfortable. Y'all need to hear me. I love it that you're here. I want you to keep coming back. I want you to bring everybody in your neighborhood to church. But let's all understand and come into agreement that Jesus is still the guest of honor. And we may have a seat, but what's important is that Jesus has a seat so he can be God in our lives. Come on, give him a praise right there if you want to make Jesus comfortable. The last one is Hallel, short for hallelujah. I want you to look at the definition of this. To rave, boast, celebrate, or act clamorously foolish. I'm going to be real honest. I don't see a lot of y'all doing that. I don't see a lot of people in church acting foolish in their praise. But God has set a pattern. He wants to hear your voice sing. He wants to see your hand raised. God, God wants us to address him in a loud tone. But he also wants us to rave, boast, celebrate, and sometimes, like David, get a little bit undignified. 
We too, we too cute in church. We're afraid to mess up an outfit or our hair. Come on, your hair ain't that great to begin with. Come on, I don't even have hair. I'm teasing. You look beautiful today. I like going to, to football games. Anybody like going to a football game? Come on, y'all. Anybody like going to a football game? I like going to a football game. I, I'm, I grew up four years old, and I don't know if this is a blessing. Karen would call it a curse. I've been a Washington Redskins fan, which I got to get used to it. They're not the Redskins. Apparently, that's offensive. Um, but the Washington Commanders is our new name. And I like going up once a year to a home football game. And what I've noticed is that, and it's very rare, by the way, when we score a touchdown, when our quarterback throws a pass and a receiver catches it, and we score, we actually score. I've been there 13 or 14 times, and I've only seen them win twice. How I many? I probably should save my money and not give them one game a year. That's probably Dave Ramsey right there. I probably should probably save that investment. Um, and anyway, they, they score. They'll throw a touchdown, and, and the place, and it doesn't matter if it's Washington Commanders or the Green Bay Packers or a high school, the Greenbrier, East Spartans, when they score, the place goes nuts. And everybody, it does, we extend hands at the game. We address in a loud tone. We shout. There's exuberant singing. I'm not going to practice that in front of you, but that we do have a song in Washington. And people act really, really foolish at these games. So much so that my, we, we all went, my family, uh, we all went, and we took... Um, of course, Karen was there, and my brother's wife was there. Uh, we all went to a ball game one time in Cincinnati. Um, and because, because my brother is a diehard Bengals fan, and my dad is a diehard Colts fan. And so we all go, and this was back Peyton Manning, Carson Palmer. And you can Google the game. It was the game when the score was like 52-45, something crazy. Like, they were just touchdowns all game long. But one of the first plays of the game, the Bengals scored, and we're in Cincy. And how many know, I think a lot of the people at those games, they drink the tequila I was talking about. They, I mean, before the game even starts, like they've been working on that thing all day. You know, they come in ready. And there's like an opening touchdown. The place goes nuts. My dad, being a Colts fan, he's just standing there. But all, everybody else, almost everybody else is dressed in orange and black. You know, who day, who day, who day. I mean, it's, it's all that's going on. People are screaming. And, and this guy... Obviously, a Bengals fan, really pumped up. He grabs my dad, who's a Colts fan, and he doesn't know because dad's got a brand new, check this out, I don't know why he wore this, a brand new leather jacket, and it's buttoned all the way up. I think he had a Colts t-shirt or something on under it, but he was afraid to show it in the crowd we were in. And so it's buttoned up, and this guy going crazy for the Bengals grabs my dad by the, the collars, and he starts doing this. <sighs> and I, I see it happening, but I, I'm just kind of like with my brother. I'm not a Bengals fan, but I can high-five and be a part of it. But I look back over, and my dad's standing there like this. <laughs> I said, Dad, what happened? He said, look at my coat. I looked at The guy had shook him so violently 
that all the buttons popped off a brand new leather coat, and it was all in reaction to a team he doesn't even like. And I thought about how nuts we go at these ball games, and, and we watch a quarterback throw a pass and a receiver catch a touchdown, and we shout and we, and we go crazy for people that don't even know our name. I refuse to be louder for people that don't know my name than for a Jesus who has saved me. I refuse. I refuse. So Hillel says to rave, to boast, to celebrate, to act a little foolish. I dare you right now to start doing a little of that. To rave, to boast, to celebrate, to act a little foolish in the presence of God. Come on, church, you can do better than that. Let's lift up a praise in this house. Now watch this. If 55% of all communication is body language, if our actions actually speak louder than our words, then why would it be any different in worship? Why would it be any different in worship? I've gotten us through the gate, the outer court, the inner court, but there's a fourth step, and that is the Holy of Holies. The way I would describe this is, have you ever been in a service and you were worshiping God, the church was worshiping God, and suddenly the atmosphere changed? Some of you would describe it as God's presence filled the room or the the hair on the back of my neck began to stand up. Some of us, we would describe it as our heart felt pulled into the presence of God. What happens when we sense that kind of shift in a room? We have stepped out of this realm and we have stepped into the Holy of Holies. We have stepped in to the very presence of God. And listen, that is the reward for worship, but for God, that is the reason for worship. We started with Exodus 25, 9. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Why did God give us the pattern? The previous verse, Exodus 25, 8. I also want them to build a special place where I can live among my people. Why did God have them build this? Why does God have a pattern for worship? Because the pattern God has prescribed for us to enter into worship, it always leads us into a deeper presence of God. How many of you are ready to step into a deeper presence of God in this season? Anybody ready to do that? In rooms like this, The cool thing about it was, I'm going to ask them to come get this. I'm going to hand this off. Thank you, baby. The cool thing about it was in the Old Testament, only one got to experience that. I want you to think about that. Only one person got to experience that level. One person in the Old Testament has become, even in a room of hundreds of people, It's not just for one. Watch this. It's for everyone. Every person in this room, when you enter into that place, I don't care if there's thousands of people here, when you enter into that place, 
you have God's full attention. And some of us, if we're being honest, we need God's attention in our marriage, in our finances, in our career, in our parenting. We need God's attention in a lot of ways. And the fastest way to get God's attention is to get over ourselves and worship him for who he is. I'm going to ask, I want to ask that you bow your heads for just a moment and close your eyes. I'm going to give two different altar calls in this moment. The first, for those of you that are in this place and you would say, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior or I need to be saved today. I need to be forgiven. Not going to embarrass anyone, but if you're in this place and you know you need to get things right with God, you need to make a commitment to Jesus. If that is you, would you just lift your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. You're talking to me. Thanks for that hand and that hand. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for these two hands right here. Come on, anybody else? Another one right here. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? So good, so good. At least five hands went up. I like that. It's what it's all about. Here's the deal. We've all been where you're, you, you are right now, and we're going to pray this with you. I'm going to give you some words to help you articulate what God's doing in your heart. But I want everybody to, to repeat the prayer with me as five people come into a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to save me, to forgive me, to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give a big round of applause for those five people. So good. Listen, if you made, if you made that commitment to follow Jesus, I want you to pull out the connect card in the seat back in front of you. And I want you to take a minute to jot your name down. Let us know you made a decision to follow Jesus. And there is a table in the back left of the room, my left, your right. We want to put a brand new gift in your hand, a new Bible. We want to help you take your next step. Listen, the greatest miracle in the world today is not sick bodies being healed or the dead being raised from the dead. Like the greatest miracle in the world today is still when we come out of darkness on our way to hell into God's light on our way to heaven. That's the thing we want to celebrate the most. And so take time to do that. Prayer team and staff, if you would go ahead and get in place on those outer walls, we want to make it simple for those of you that are on the, the ends of the section that if you need prayer, you can walk straight over to, to my left or to my right, and someone will be there to pray with you and for you. Um, I want to give some direction here because I don't want to be the kind of pastor or preacher that preaches a message like this, and then we all still praise and worship the same. I think everybody in this room who loves Jesus should take one step, at least one, in their worship this morning. And so you say, well, what does that mean to take one step? Well, it's going to be really easy for some of y'all because if you're one of those that just 
I'm going to ask that you actually sing. Is that all right? I, I want you to sing. Now, maybe you sing, but that's all you give us. Today, I believe, I have faith. I believe God's still working. I believe that those of you that sing a little bit, that today you're going to, there's going to be an extended hand. You say, Pastor, I don't understand. It's God's pattern. God chooses how he wants to be worshipped. I'm sorry to bust your bubble. You don't get to decide how God is worshipped. So you're going to raise a hand. Some of y'all, you've got the whole singing and the hand raising thing. You got it down. Your step, you're going to have to start shouting. Some of y'all are like, well, it's about to get crazy up in here, right? It's about to get crazy. Hey, I'm ready to come to church. And the praise and the worship is so powerful that it blows the roof off this place. And I'm not talking about these guys. I'm talking about these guys. And some of y'all, you're a little bit crazy anyway. People already think you're crazy, so no need to worry about it. You sing, you kind of sway, you shout a little bit. I'm going to encourage those folks, go ahead and act as foolish as you can for Jesus today. Come on, worship team. Come on. Let's go into the presence of God today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.